Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome, welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. We're glad you're with us. We're coming to you live from Orlando, Florida, and I have Timbo with me once again. And by the time it reaches you, it will no longer be live, but it's live right now. The passage we're going to look at, and of course, what we're doing is we are going through every reference to the kingdom of God in the New Testament. We're still in the Gospels, and we're trying to do it chronologically. The passage before us today is Matthew 21, verses 28 to 32. And I will read from the New American Standard, to which you should be wondering which version of the New American Standard, Frank. Is it the one from the 70s? Is it the 95 version? Is it the 2020 version or whatever year it was done? I have no idea what version this is. It's just New American Standard, so (laughs) you'll just have to be content. Verse 28, Matthew 21, but what do you think? This is Jesus speaking. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. And by the way, let me insert here who he's talking to, because this is important. He is speaking to the chief priests and the elders. The chief priests and the elders. And I'll explain who those people are in a few minutes. All right, so... The second son says, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And the chief priests and elders said, the first, the first son. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors, the publicans, and the prostitutes, the harlots, will get into the kingdom of God before you, religious leaders. For John, verse 32, came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Wow. Now, this is the first parable out of three that Matthew has one after the other, where Jesus is leveling a frontal attack against the religious leaders of his time. This is a parable against these men. And he is uber critical of the Jewish religious hierarchy. I'm going to stop there before I get into my own thoughts and reactions to this and uh, open the floor for you, Tim Boda, to share your thinking here. 
Yes, this is the this is the deep critique that Jesus gives of the religious leaders. So you know, this is the this is the place where people like me get taken to task. <laughs> and this this particular little parable, there's there's a lot here because I think that it's it's not exactly what it seems. Mm. It's not exactly what it seems that in the tradition of that time. One of the worst things that a child could do to their parent, that a son could do to the father, would be to dishonor them, to create shame. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that you would create shame in that culture is if you say to your father, nah, I'm not going to do what you tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you say to his face, mm-hmm. I'm not, you want me to go and work for you? I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. That would be one of the worst possible things that you could do. And so that that first son, he does one of the worst possible things in that culture, and yet then he goes and obeys mm. and does what the father asks him to do. The second son acts in the way that is acceptable and approved, right? Says mm. to his father's face, I go, sir. There's the, the honor the respect. And so in, in in that culture, as he tells this as he tells this parable to these religious leaders, it's a thing that messes with their brains. Because well wait a minute, that first kid, he's he's doing the worst thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And yet clearly Jesus is making the point that yes, that that first one, who does the will of his father? Jesus changes the question. Mm-hmm. So it's not who gave proper honor to the Father. It's who did the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. Who actualized yes. what the Father wanted in the world. And, and Jesus is saying, you got to ask the right question. Mm-hmm. right? The point isn't who acts according to the structures of, you know, of the culture. Mm-hmm. But it's who actually accomplishes the uh, the goodness in the world and so and so it just flips the whole thing around and and then and then so then it becomes the point of how do you you know how do you get into the kingdom and it's not by doing all the right things it's not by following all the right rituals it's not by living according to the rules of the religion or the culture mm. it is by believing, trusting the one that God sends into the world. Because that's what the that's what the prostitutes and the tax collectors do. People who are not doing good things, right? People who have broken the Torah left and right. But when John comes preaching repentance, mm-hmm. preaching turn back to the God whose kingdom is breaking into the world, they turn around. Yeah. They trust. Which in the end is all we can really do. That's all we can really do. That's how we enter the kingdom. We we trust. We respond to the invitation. Respond, yeah. I'm struck by two things here. One of them is that this parable and the other two that follow it, which we'll discuss in future episodes, highlight the reversal of roles in the kingdom of God. Mm. And these reversals are radical and they're unexpected. And the second big theme uh, that I am uh, 
struck with is this business of doing, not just doing, but doing the will of God. It seems to me that the, the emphasis here, and this is an indictment, a very direct indictment against the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders. It's about acting on and carrying out what Jesus actually said. I would title this, if I could put a title on it, pretentious obedience versus delayed obedience. And I like the word response. You use that word. Response to me is a better word than obey for our time because Mm -hmm. obedience conjures up this idea of legalism and legalistic impulses, you know, and, and human effort. And I have to obey. And if I don't, well, you know, guess what? This is going to happen to me. And, and so I like the word response much better. And I use that in the book Insurgents, what I'm talking about obedience. Let me give a quick riff on parables. And I've discussed this in the past, but I think it's a good place to give a reminder. A parable is similar to a paradox in that it unhinges popular assumptions. And Jesus was constantly doing this with his parables. Mm-hmm. He would take ordinary events and happenings and procedures in life and build stories out of them, but those stories just totally broke apart and challenged assumptions. They dislodged prejudices. They were designed to jolt a person (laughs) in their understanding, but also to action. So it wasn't just a, a cognitive exercise. And a parable like a paradox, it's not a final resting place. It's designed to create tension that fuels action. Mm. So it's one thing to hear a parable and say, amen, or I understand it. It's another thing to actually put it into practice. (laughs) And all of the Lord's parables were designed to do those very things. Let's quickly look at the background to this parable of the two sons. You back up to verse 12. He enters, Jesus enters the temple courts and he drives out those who are selling and buying there. And he makes that statement about my father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. In verse 15, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were enraged. They were indignant, right? So right there, (laughs) it's an exposure of their heart. Then he curses the fig tree. And then in verse 23, he enters the temple courts again. And while he's teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him and they asked him a question. They were always trying to trap him. And their question was, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so he replies and he asks them a question. (laughs) By what authority was John's baptism carried out? Did the authority come from heaven or of human origin? And of course, that threw them into a tailspin. (laughs) They, They were on the horns of a dilemma. They couldn't answer it one way or the other because whatever they said, they would get in trouble. And the writer of Matthew explains why. And so they just said to Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> and then he says, well, neither, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things that you just saw. So let's look at who these people are, all right? The chief priests and the elders. First of all, the priests were descendants of Aaron. 
and also descendants of Zadok. That goes back to David's life and kingship. The chief priests were the leading priests who were the members of the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish ruling council. And the high priest was the head of all of the chief priests. He was the highest one. But the chief priests and the senior, also called the senior priests in Jerusalem, were probably the ancestors of the Sadducees. The elders were members of the Sanhedrin also, which is the Jewish Supreme Court. And as their name applies, they were elderly men in these leadership positions. And they were among the Lord's enemies all throughout. They influenced his execution. They harassed and persecuted the apostles and the other disciples. They played a big role in causing uh, Jesus suffering. They challenged his authority constantly, uh, particularly days before his crucifixion, which we're looking at here. And it was the elders who gave their authority, along with the other Jewish leaders, to have Judas Iscariot escorted to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was arrested. The elders likely refer, some scholars believe, to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees saw themselves as the guardians of Jewish faith and culture. They taught the people in the local synagogues. They were generally regarded highly by the people. They were viewed as being very pious, very devout. They were an unofficial but powerful Jewish pressure group through most of the first centuries BC and AD. And they were largely lay-led, and they included some priests. But their aim was to purify Israel through intense obedience and observance of the Jewish law. And they had their own traditions and their own precise application of scripture. Most of the Pharisees were legal experts. Then you had the Sadducees, and this was the aristocracy of Judaism. They included most of the leading priestly families. They had their own traditions also, and they attempted to resist the pressure of the Pharisees to conform. Their views were a bit different on the Hebrew scriptures from the Pharisees. No writings from the Sadducees have survived unless you count Ben Sirach, which some believe did not come from the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not survive the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Then there were the scribes, and these were the trained class of writers. They performed the function of drawing up contracts for business, marriage, etc. Many scribes would be legal experts and were possibly Pharisees. These were kind of like the Bible scholars of the first century. In this parable here about the two sons, it's important to understand who he was talking to, the chief priests and the elders, probably Pharisees in there. I think what the Lord here is saying, in my view, is that the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, will throw them in there too, and other leaders of Israel were obedient only in their words. They were not obedient in their actions. They didn't respond to John the Baptist or Jesus. They gave lip service and mental assent to following God. And I think the underlying issue here is repentance, which is not being sorry. It's a change of mind and action. And all throughout the New Testament, the gospel message is repent and believe, repent and believe. It's not just believe, it's repent and believe. I think of Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, 
but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then in Matthew 12, verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. And then in 1 John 2, he talks about those who do the will of God. This is verse 17, 1 John 2. Those who do the will of God live forever. So I think the critical response to Jesus and his message, as well as John the Baptist who came before him, was repent and believe. Mark 1.15, John the Baptist, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus, in effect, says the same thing in Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hmm. Repentance is the tearing down and the about face. Faith is the buildup and the walking forward in a new direction. The leaders did not repent or believe. Hmm. They said they did, but they didn't. So they professed to believe in the God of Israel, but they did not respond when the God of Israel showed up and called them to change direction and to give their believing allegiance to him in the person of Jesus. The prostitutes and the tax collectors, on the other hand, which were the marginalized and despised, that they were the despicable of Jewish society, they did not respond at first. But when John the Baptist came on the scene, even though it was a delayed response because they had been living sinful lives for a long time, when light came, they responded to it and they repented. They turned and believed. And Jesus is not only indicting them for not repenting and believing, he's indicting them for not recognizing who John was, even though they saw they saw John's ministry and they saw these publicans and harlots coming into the kingdom of God, repenting, changing their lives, denouncing, turning away from all the things that John was denouncing. They saw that. It was like a willful disobedience on their part. It wasn't a blind deceit. They were willfully disobedient, had hatred, and were dismissing John and Jesus himself. And so, in effect, he was basically saying, you answered correctly and you're indicting yourself with your own words because you're the son who said you would do the father's will but you didn't hmm. they're unwilling to change their minds you know to, to repent metanoia right mm-hmm. the, they're unwilling to, to change their minds they're unwilling to uh, to pick up something that you mentioned in the last in the last episode they're unwilling to let go of their filters mm. they see the prostitutes and the tax collectors as the scum of society, yes. as beyond redemption. So when John starts preaching and inviting them to change their minds, to come into the kingdom, to see things in a new way, mm-hmm. and, and they respond, right? The, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are willing to give up mm. the way that they're looking at the world and the give up the, the places where they've been trapped in sin and mm. and separation from God. And the, and the chief priests and the leaders, mm. they can't see it. They cannot see that as a good thing. They cannot see that as God's activity in the world. They can't see it because that's not what the kingdom in their minds looks like, mm. right? The kingdom doesn't look like these 
these dirty people coming yeah. in, right? <laughs> right? That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is for us, the, the good, Absolutely. clean people. But John begins that, and Jesus just lives it out, right? right. Jesus lives that out even, even more deeply, lives out this parable. I mean, this parable gets lived out in other places in the Gospels. So the tax collector, Luke 18, right? The tax collector and the Pharisee go into the temple, mm-hmm. right? And who, who is the one that gets justified? Not the one who says, basically, Lord, look at all the good things that I've did. Look at all the ways that I've followed the rules. Look at all the rituals that I've performed. But the one who repents, the one who recognizes mm-hmm. his need of God's mercy yeah. goes home justified. And I think the amazing thing about that story, you know, like Jesus tells that story, and then the very next thing that happens in Luke 19 is Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Right? Yeah. So, so this isn't just words, right? Zacchaeus hears Jesus proclaiming the inbreaking of the kingdom, and he's like, my mind and my life are changed. Half of everything Absolutely. I give to the fortune, right? It. There's action to it, right? It's, and it's a response. It's a response to the presence and the grace mm. of Jesus, right? This is not a, this is not a Zacchaeus saying, well, you know, I somehow got to earn my way. Mm-hmm. This is a response to the presence and the power and the grace of Jesus coming into his life. And that changes everything. I mean, because that's the kingdom, right? That's the kingdom breaking into into Zacchaeus's life, showing up in his house, and the same thing with the you know the same thing with the story of the of, of the prostitute in Luke's gospel. You know the story. Yeah. He's in the Pharisee's exactly. house at dinner, and the woman comes in, a woman who was sinful, right? Well, we know what that means in that mm-hmm. culture. Yes. You know, sinful woman, and again. The change that happens, the change of mind, the change of life. And who doesn't like it? Who doesn't want to see it? Who doesn't want to accept it? The Pharisee. Because with his filter, that Mm. person doesn't belong in the kingdom. Mm. Yeah, and that story about Zacchaeus, it really is striking that Jesus said, I'm going to dine with you in your home. Mm. The very fact that he was willing to do that when all his fellow Jews had ostracized him, shunned him, and here's a guy working for the Romans, taking our money. Mm. He's a tax collector. Yeah, yeah. And here Jesus actually eats with him. You know, Zacchaeus may not have had any meals with fellow Jews for years. Mm. And here, the Messiah, the pure Son of God, who he himself is Jewish, comes and eats with him. Mm. That's amazing. And, of course, an offense to the religious leaders. I just think that what Jesus says in response to them, it's so fascinating to see the dialogue that he has with these leaders. These are the teachers of Israel. These are the, the ones whom the people of Israel look to for spiritual leadership. It's just a master stroke of genius how he tells this story and clearly the first son, without saying it, is represented by the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The second son, he's aiming all of that at them, the temple hierarchy, the religious leadership. The implication is outrageous to the Jewish leaders and the comparison is really offensive. You know, they spent all their time 
the chief priests and the elders of the Pharisees, keeping themselves apart from sinners. And yet, according to Jesus, they're the ones that are going to be shut out of the kingdom of God. I mean, talk about turning the pyramid upside down. And no wonder they had such contempt for him, because he was so bold to say these things to them. To the Jewish people, and especially the hierarchy, these leaders, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, were not only despicable, but they were the objects of contempt because the tax collectors cheated, the prostitutes were sexually immoral, but not only that, they both worked closely with the Romans, who were the enemies of the Jewish people. Hmm. The tax collectors took money from the Jews and gave it to the Romans, a foreign power, and the prostitutes used their services to serve Roman men. And so for Jesus to say, hey, they're going to enter the kingdom before you do, you talk about almost a blasphemous thing for them to hear. You know, to make this practical, because again, we, we, can, we can get lost in the scenery of the first century and, and talk about, well, look how courageous Jesus was and, and indicting these leaders and how he was a champion of the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Well, you have to keep in mind, they repented. He wasn't approving their lifestyle. They responded to John. They were the first son that said no, but then changed their mind and obeyed, right? So they repented. And I think for Christians today, especially those in the West, which would be most of our audience, two things come to mind. Tim, and, and at the risk of offending a good Lutheran, I, I'm going <laughs> to reference James, the book of James. I know how Luther felt about the book of James. But, but in this situation, in this text, I think the words of James, and I'm not going to read it, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25, he in effect is saying, don't be just hearers of the word. Don't just give lip service and mental assent. Don't just sign your name on the creed and say, yes, I believe. But be doers of the word. Let there be action that prove the genuineness of your faith. The devils believe too, and they tremble. They believe in that mental assent kind of way. The Pharisees believed, but they didn't act on what they believe. I mean, if they really acted on what they believe, they would have followed Jesus and repented. And same with John the Baptist. So my word to all of us, including myself, is if Jesus Christ is putting his finger on anything in your life, and trust me, he will if you're following him, act in a way that aligns with your profession. Don't just say, but do. Respond to him. Getting in the kingdom, getting into the kingdom is not just a matter of signing the dotted line and reciting the words of a creed and believing intellectually. It's putting action to your belief. It's responding to the Lord. Now, we don't do this in our own effort. I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that we respond. And he has given us a will, and by the Holy Spirit, we can respond to him, and we can put into action what he has called us to do. So there's this, this interplay between his power and the power of the Spirit and our responsibility to respond. Those two things work together. 
but there is an element in the Christian church that basically boils down a walk with Jesus to agreeing with certain propositional truths with no change in their lives. And that's not what responding to the gospel message is. It's repenting, (laughs) it's taking action, and our actions will reveal the genuineness of our faith. I believe it's where, in my mind, Paul and James come together. They're both speaking to different audiences, but they're emphasizing two different things. And both of them come out saying that true, genuine faith includes repentance, and it will be evidenced by a change in your behavior, in your conduct. It's not putting action before faith. It's faith producing action. What says the Lutheran? (laughs) (laughs) And And that has been, you know, that has been a problem in the Lutheran tradition, in my tradition, that the emphasis that we have on faith and and grace has sometimes been a problem in then, you know, we have an, we have problem articulating ethics. You know, we have a problem articulating how is this, how is this lived out because we don't want to say, we don't want to get any whiff of earning yes. God's favor. That's right. And so it's hard, you know, it's, I think that's hard to, it's hard to talk about the fruits that get produced, mm. you know, but even Luther would say, well, yes, the, the, the good works are the fruit of faith. Yes. I mean, just like they're the yes. natural result, just yes. like fruit comes from a good tree. That's what happens. It's not, it's not a, you can have this without that. You can have faith, but not have mm-hmm. but not have good works. It's a natural progression. They, they're deeply and intimately connected, and I think that's that's what the mm-hmm. that's what the New Testament says. Mm-hmm. That that's what you know. That's what we see in the Gospels. We see when people come to trust Jesus, and maybe for maybe in our in our day, that's a better word than believe, because because yes. believe is is seen as something intellectual you know i yes. i believe I that, that theory you know i believe that doctrine mm-hmm. and it's and it's and it's all in our heads whereas trust is more of a whole person commitment yes you know Praise so the Lord. so you know like I, I i you know one of the things that i i say you know when i used to when i used to live in alaska i lived in a lived in a uh Anupiak village you know and you you would you would trust the native people right so mm-hmm. if somebody said hey we can go across the, the frozen the frozen ocean here, not there. It's like okay, well yeah, I can intellectually believe that, but it's only when I really trust that I actually go out and follow them. Perfect. You know, I can believe it, but it's when you trust then mm. that 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 enables the trust enables right. action and the, the trust enables transformation. That when when Jesus shows up in Zacchaeus's house, like, like you said, and eats with him that is so profound Mm. that then Zacchaeus can trust him right Mm -hmm. Zacchaeus can trust that wow this is grace this is Mm. acceptance this is bringing me back into connection with the living God that I haven't tasted this in Mm. decades probably Mm. and so what happens it's not a you know this is kind of a nice thing to believe I, you know, I would like to parse this mm-hmm. and say, you know, what exactly are the implications? No, it's half my money, Lord, to the poor. It's that natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in this in this parable, 
that's the thing that, that that's that, that's the disconnect right the disconnect yeah. is the disconnect is mm. can you really say yes authentically can you really say yes to God authentically without then doing the will of the Father and I think uh, mm. you know uh, one of the podcasts last time around you said God does not command anything that God does not empower us right. to do. Yes. And I think that's the thing. Because when we trust, that opens that yes. opens ourselves Amen. up to that divine power, to the Holy Spirit, mm. to the inbreaking of the kingdom in that direction. And it's not a it's not an either or of faith or works. It's mm. a living out of trust into the into the kingdom that God's creating and creating mm. using us broken, fallible Weak humans. Yeah, that's the truth. So, mere profession versus active compliance, pretentious obedience versus delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is still obedience, said the Lord. Well, we can talk more about this, and I've had other thoughts and ideas in my head, but I think we've hit the highlights. And hopefully, if you're listening to this and there are areas in your life where your profession is not compatible with your lifestyle, with your conduct, then we exhort you in the Lord to deal with those areas before Him. And if you have a Christian friend, someone you trust, talk to them about it if you need some encouragement and some practical advice. But may we not be (laughs) like the second son. May we not be those who are simply hearers of the word and even professors of it and not be doers of it. The Lord calls us to do his word as well as hear it and believe it. I think one of the beautiful things about this parable is the prostitutes and the tax collectors will get into the kingdom ahead of you, Mm -hmm. which offers some hope. Right. Mm. If they're getting in ahead of us religious leaders, mm. maybe there's still hope for us religious leaders too. <laughs> we just we're just bringing up the rear. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.